You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he will be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace. By the blood of the cross, him we proclaim. Hope you guys are feeling good. You got an extra hour of sleep. Some of you, your clocks in your cars now are right on. And the, and the rest of you, for another six months, they'll be off because you have no clue how to change them, and that's all right. Um, did, I do want to encourage you, if you are a member or you're in, you're in pursuit of membership, you're waiting for the next meeting, whatever, please come tonight to our five o'clock meeting, uh, our family meeting. It's just, uh, we, we do a couple of these a year to kind of let you know big things that's going on, kind of recap some things. It's a chance for us to just get together, pray uh, together in an informal setting maybe sing a song or two, and just kind of hear what's going on. And so meet some new folks. Um, it it's, it's only happens usually twice a year. So if you're a member or in active membership uh, pursuit that you would come tonight, uh, that would be awesome. Also, again, we heard it in announcements. Next Sunday, just like we did with Beulah, our entire offering, whatever is given, will be going to Wycliffe. We've adopted a people group and a place we're not allowed to tell you, but it's somewhere that is hostile to the gospel. And, uh, and so we are going to you know, give all that we have to them and uh, see how, if we can help finish this project so they will have a New Testament in their language. So it's exciting stuff. We did that last year with Pesoto in, in China and uh, this year we're doing it with a new group in a different section of the world. So excited about that. If you have a Bible, we're in Colossians chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in the seat close to you. You can grab it or you can download it a quick app or, uh, you know, just look on your neighbors or whatever or it'll be on the screen. Um, if you kind of regular here, I'd encourage you to bring your Bible, whether it's through your app, where I'm okay with that. Some people don't like that. I'm completely fine with an app. See this? This is called an app. All right, so I got this right here. So I'm all good with technology. Utilize it for the gospel. Uh, but I want you to follow along, be able to see where we're at. Um, one of my favorite, no, my favorite Pixar is one, movies is one of the lesser kind of liked ones. Everyone's like a Toy Story fan or Incredibles. My favorite is Wally. All right, Wally, in my opinion, is the best. If you don't know Wally, then probably not a Christian, but um, <laughs> so it's a story of basically this robot named Wally, go figure, and the, the, the story real quick is that the earth has been you know, corrupted and polluted by man, and so they take off into space uh, while Wally and his buddies, you know, you only really see Wally, but all the rest of the robots are left to clean up after our mess. So Wally and his little cockroach buddy kind of do their deal every day. And once in a while, Earth will send back a little robot to check on the progress and see if it's livable. And so they send Eve or Eva, 
right? There's a creation narrative going on here. There's actually some, some theological things going on. And, you know, through a long, you know, story, Wally kind of goes back up on the, onto the ship where all the humans are. And what you see is humanity is now a living their existence out, sitting in a lazy boy with a screen in front of their face. Uh, and, and robots do everything for them. They, they drink Slurpees and they watch the screen all day long. And it's had happened for so long that that humanity is just kind of this blob of a body. Their bodies don't even function anymore. They can't walk, they can't move, they don't do anything for themselves. And there's this kind of mockery that one of the themes that kind of the, the writers are, are highlighting is this is not how it's supposed to be. Man was not created to sip Slurpees, sit in a Lazy Boy and watch TV, except on Sunday afternoons, right? That, that's not what we're created to be. And this goes back to something that we hit, it, hit on last week, and we'll see it again today, that we were created in the image of God. And there's value there. We talked about that in the distinction between male and female. But another aspect of the imago Dei, the image of God, is that we were created to do something. Why? We have a God, we have a deity who does something. He works and so we, as his creation, made in his image to reflect him on his planet, are created to work. Our problem is we hear work and we think what? Employment. We think, well, do re me, get a job. And that is part of it. That is a subset of work. But work is not just a job. Work is, is at its simplest, and we don't have a, a time to develop a theology of work today. I did this with the men a couple years ago in six weeks. But at its simplest, work is exerting energy. So we work in your neighborhood and you work on your relationships, hopefully, with your kids and your parents and your neighbors. You work, hopefully, here at the local church. You, we work all over the place. It's not just a job, right? And so the idea work matters because we are made in the image of a God who works. That's kind of where we're going a little bit today. We've been working through Colossians. We came to that section of Colossians where Paul is saying, what difference does Jesus make in the two most common areas we're at, our homes, and now work, where we're exerting energy, right? What difference? He, since he is central, since, he is, uh, since all things are created through him and by him and for him and all things are returning to him, what difference does that make? And so the, in chapter three, when he kind of turns the, the kind of theme a little bit different to kind of get real practical, he says what? Set your mind on things above. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. Seek the things above. But see, here's the problem. Christians hear that and they think, Oh, we just have to think about heaven. The point Paul is trying to make, though, is that you're not so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. That's not the point. Actually, the opposite is true, that as a follower of Jesus, when you are in the mix, things should be better while you're here. And so a few weeks ago, I was leaving a, a football game. It was late at night with, one of my, with my two boys, and we're like, okay, we gotta go get, we gotta go get milkshakes. Gotta go Chick-fil-A. So I pull into one of the Chick-fil-A's, I won't say which one. The line was way long, it was way late. So we're like, we're going inside because I ain't waiting in this line. We go inside, long is, line is way long. But I heard out of the corner of my ear something super disturbing. Shake machine is down. And I thought, what is this, McDonald's? And so what did I do? I walked out. Why? Because a spicy chicken sandwich is good, waffle fries are good, but it's not as good if without a cookies and cream shake to dip that in, right? If you don't like that, then you are, again, not a Christian. 
And so I walk myself down to McDonald's, ironically, which drove myself, which was the shake machine was working. Yes, I know. It's, a mir- it's like Jesus coming back, right? <laughs> but the point is this. The cookies and cream shake makes everything better. It's already good, but it makes it better. Creation's already good, right? God created good, 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 good. When Christians are in the mix, we are supposed to be like cookies and cream shakes. Things are just better. And when they're not there, you notice it. That is the design. That is what we're supposed to be. Even in the Old Testament, there's this great verse right before the one everyone knows, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, right? All that, that passage that's written to Israel. But there's a, there's a passage where God is directing the people of Israel as they are captives in Babylon. And this is what he says. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons. He said, live life, right? And then here's why. And seek the welfare of the city that is Babylon, their enemy, their captor. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The idea is you are to be a blessing even in exile. You are to make the city of Babylon better when you're there, right? We, as the people of God, in our place of exerting energy, whether that's home, whether that's school, whether that's in your neighborhood, are to bring, we're to the cookies and cream shake. We just make it better. And so we're gonna look at how today as we continue in this passage in Colossians chapter three. And we'll kind of get our way briefly into chapter four. And Paul's gonna say, this is how we proclaim him in our energy that's exerted, in our work, all right? Colossians 3, verse 22, we're gonna go to 4.1. And this is a passage, I'll just say, you know, it's very misunderstood. This is a passage that's used against the church in the past, right? And it's a lot because of the first word in some of your older translations, it says uh, slaves. And in the ESV, it says bondservants, the reason some of your older translations use the word servants or slaves is because the concept of a bond servant is, is, is not familiar to us, right? We don't know what that means. Um, but understand the challenge of reading the scripture is that this is a, a book that was inspired by God and written between four and 2,000 years ago. And that is a completely different cultural context than where we're living right now. But what we end up doing is we read our culture into the scripture rather than reading the scripture's culture out to us and taking the principles. And so sometimes we struggle with a passage like this because we come to our, this passage with the American uh, slavery, slave trade of the 1800s, uh, the colonialism of the, of the early 1800s. We read that into this. That's not... That's not what is going on here. There's similar components in some ways, but that's not identical, right? And so let me kind of just briefly unpack a few distinctions so that you can understand what's going on in this cultural context, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of make some application for us as we work through. When you see uh, the word bondservant, it's the word doulos, right? It's, 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 a, it's a different idea. It's someone who who often sells themselves into slavery. And this day, remember, Paul is writing in a, in a culture where Rome is king. They have conquered the known world. There is no parliament. There is no William Wilberforce. There is no Bill of Rights. There is no Declaration of Independence. There is no court system, no Magna Carta. There is only Caesar. That's what it is. And in that day, because everyone's a conquered people, the estimates from historians are anywhere between one-third and one-half of the population of the known world is what we would call a bondservant. 
So if you think about the math, that means in this room of probably right now 700 people, 350 of y'all would be considered a bondservant. But here's the difference. You would not know it by looking at them. Because unlike colonialism and American slavery, which was 100% racial, right? It was a complete racial issue. This was not, right? This was an economic situation, right? You were either a conquered people or on many occasions because they didn't have colleges and they didn't have unemployment and they didn't have LinkedIn and they didn't have all these social services. If you needed to provide for your family, which you did, one of the ways you would do that is you would sell yourself for a specific amount of time into ownership of a certain person to be his or her bond servant, right? And, or maybe you borrowed money to start a business or something and so you worked for that person for 10 years or however many years as their bond servant, right? And at the end of that time, you were, you, were, you were free to go or you could say, this is a good gig. I like this, I like my boss and he would put a nail through your ear and you would become a permanent bond servant. And what would often happen in this case is you would be raised up and trained in whatever trade your, your, your master was. So if he was a blacksmith, you learned to be a blacksmith. If he was a doctor, you learned to be a doctor. If he was a writer, you'd be an orator. Whatever he was, you would often be. And when your time was up, you would go and you'd start your own blacksmith. Or you'd be your own doctor, right? That's, that's the way it would often work, right? Now, was there abuses in this? Of course there was. It all depended on how kind and gentle and generous your master was, right? Uh, but again, 50% of the people in this population, this is how they survived, right? Most bond servants were set free by the time they're 30. This, this is one of the differences between, again, the American slavery versus there. Is American slavery 100% racial and it was, light, it was done, you, permanent. Until it ended, it was permanent. In this culture, it was you could buy yourself out you could save up money and, and, and free yourself. Paul alludes to this in, in 1 Corinthians 7. Or your time would be up, and so you would go off and start your company or your whatever, or you'd go to another city or do whatever. And so it's, it, there's, this, there's some similarities, but there's distinctions. There was abuses, of course. But, and so the question is often, well, why doesn't Paul just reject this whole idea altogether? Well, in some ways, he actually does. The idea of going and taking someone captive who was free and then putting him on a ship and then selling him. Paul actually does reject that idea in 1 Timothy. Let me show you a verse. He's talking about what sound doctrine versus with uh, uh, healthy doctrine is what is language he uses versus uh, uh, unsound doctrine. And he says, understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. And he gives a bunch of lawless things. Sinners, ungodly, profane, unholy, those who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, this word enslavers. This is people who, captive people, take them from their homes and then go and sell them. That's exactly what happened in America. He has rejected that idea. So this idea that, that Paul endorsed what happened in this, in this country, no, he did not. But what was going on in their context was a little bit different. And he could still say, well, this is just wrong, owning people is wrong. Why does he not? Remember again, Paul is a peon. To, to Rome. He's one dude, part of a sect that at this time is super small, a couple churches all over, very persecuted group of people. And what he's doing is he's dealing with the context in which he lives. If I'm writing a letter to uh, the church underground in North Korea to encourage them, 
right? Doesn't mean I'm endorsing their crazy crackhead leader. But I am gonna encourage them in the context to be a blessing where they're at. That's what Paul's doing and his goal is to bring down this thing from the inside out, right? To to preach equality and justice and love and gentleness and what ends up happening is his heart's change, it falls apart. Because remember, the heart is where, where real life change happens. In our country, when slavery ended, racism is still around. It was around 100 years later because it doesn't get to the heart. Just to have a law doesn't get to the heart. Now, it's good to have laws, but our goal is, is to change, see God change people from the inside out. And, and it's, this, this whole issue is, is, is interesting when you, come, when you think about an early church when you have 50% of the people there are bond servants, 50% are potentially their boss, but in the church, maybe this bond servant, he's one of the elders. So he's an authority on a Sunday morning and over the spiritual health of the church, but then he gotta go to work for that guy. And that brings a lot of interesting, probably dialogue and, and relational challenges. Here's another one that kind of is under the radar we'll get to in a few weeks. This letter of Colossians is brought to uh, the church by a man named Onesimus. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He was a runaway bond servant. He stole money from his boss ran away a thousand miles thinking I'm free and he runs into a guy named Paul and just so happens to come to faith in Jesus and so Paul says you know you got to go back because by the way I know the guy you ran away from his name was Philemon Philemon the church of Colossae meets in the house of Philemon talk about God's randomness right so he sends his tail back with this letter the Colossian letter and a letter we call Philemon. And you can imagine him knocking on the door of Philemon. He opens the door, surprise, surprise, surprise. There's Onesimus. And in the letter, Paul says, he's now a brother. He's not just a bondservant. And he basically says, please set him free and send him back. He says, by the way, you owe me your soul. I told you about Jesus, but I'm not gonna pressure you. It's kind of funny if you read the letter. So there's all that dynamic going on in the church. And so Paul and other New Testament writers at least seven times, by the way, are going to address this relationship in in multiple New Testament letters. That's how significant it was. Peter deals with it. Paul does with it in 1 Corinthians. He deals with it in Ephesians. He deals with it in Colossians. He deals with it in Timothy. He deals with it in Titus. It's all over because it's so prevalent. And so I just want you to see two things before we go and jump in. Is number one, there's even though there's some similarities in some ways, this is not a one for one of what happened in America and the atrocities there. And number two, the closest cultural context we can get to what was going on there, we can't get a one for one, is is the employment-employer relationship, right, that we see right now. Again, not a one for one, but it's the best we got. And what we want to do is extract the principle from the text that is timeless, even though it may look a little bit different. So let me give you, he's going to hit three kind of big picture principles. He's going to talk about those in authority, and he's going to talk to those under authority. And he starts with those who are under authority, which is most of us, right? You're going to work, or you're, you're working at the house, or you're a student, or whatever it is. So he gives three kind of ideas here. He's going to talk about their hearts, he's going to talk about their hands, and he's going to talk about their minds, right? He's going he's to hit all three. The head is the way I'm going to word it. So let's look first at the heart. Verse 23, bond servants, 
Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And that's important. It's it's literally masters according to the flesh because he's gonna talk about who their real master is in a minute. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So he says, all right, y'all under authority. Obey. Obey your boss and everything. Now it goes without saying, if your boss tells you to do something that is immoral, illegal, you don't do it, right? If he says, hey, uh, fib the books a little bit or, you know, let's change the date on that or let's, you know, do this over here and uh, let's bill for hours that we didn't do. There's, a, there's clarity. We don't, we don't do that. If he calls you to sin, you don't do that. But the idea is this. Do what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, how you're supposed to do it. And do it with joy and do it enthusiastically. From the heart, with sincerity of what? The heart. This speaks of the attitude. Your attitude, how your motive and how you do things. Not passive aggressive, right? Not complaining, not talking back. Now you walk in the door and don't talk to me like my coffee, right? Not, none of that, showing up on time, re- returning emails by the deadline, not leaving early. What, you do, what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, how you're supposed to do it. Right, not spending the first hour of your day looking at cat videos on TikTok or something, okay? That, that, it's super simple. Not expensing things that are questionable. When your boss says, hey, oh, you think about doing it like this, like, you just stay in your lane. I was in, when I was in seminary, when we were broke as a joke, I told you some of these before. Um, haircuts, you know, 15 bucks a haircut, that's a lot of money when you're making, you know, zero money. So I would go to this, this cosmopolitan, cosmetology school where they would charge you a dollar and you would let these ladies just basically butcher you for an hour. And then, the, and then the head lady would come and like fix you up. And so it was worth it to save 15 bucks. So I did it one time. And so the lady, and these, these I mean, it was bad. And they're just, they're just kind of cutting away. And the head lady comes over and tells her, okay, you need to do this a little bit and do this a little bit. And she looks, and after she walks away, she's like, you don't need to listen to her. She don't know what she's talking about. I know what I'm doing. And I thought, no, please listen to her. Please listen, <laughs> please listen to her. So that's, that's what we're talking about, right? When, when you're asked to do something, it's not below you. You do it, right? If you're a student, again, your students, your job right now is school. So you're a blessing in the class. You're respectful you're, to your teacher. You're, you're not disruptive. You're not the one who's, who's causing the teacher not to be able to do their job. The goal is that you make Wherever you're exerting energy, you make that place better. You are the cookies and cream shake, right? Your goal, I know this will be hard for some of y'all, is to make your boss look good. To make them and the company or the place of your work look good. My boss thinks he's a god. He's just a prima donna. He thinks he can do no wrong. I can't do that. Well, you know who else thought he was a god? Pharaoh. And Joseph served him faithfully. You know who else who thought he was a God? Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel served him faithfully. Well, my boss is like Michael Scott. He is a moron. <laughs> right? He's not fair. He's, he's not just. He doesn't reward. He's, just, he's, just, he's miserable to work for. Right? I hear you. But you know what Peter says? He says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Here's this great line. 
not only to those who are good and gentle, because that's easy. It's easy for the staff to follow me because I'm such a good boss. <laughs> but also to those who are unjust. Why? This is a gracious thing. Literally, it finds favor when mindful of God, because, because of your relationship with God, you endure a harsh boss, a Dwight Schrute, right? Some of you are like, what does that mean? You, again, you're not a Christian. <laughs> right? For what credit is there if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? But if you do what is good and suffer, you endure it. This is a gracious thing. The, and then he goes, the next, the next 21 to 23, he says, this is exactly what Jesus did. You're just following Jesus. He was perfect and he suffered and he endured. The idea is, I know you think your boss is so terrible and it's the worst thing in the world. You ain't the first one to have a bad boss. Your situation is not unique, okay? It, you're not. I know it feels that way. He says, but when you endure that and you are faithful and you, are, you, you have a good attitude, this is a gracious thing. God is pleased with that. Why? Because he was pleased with Jesus and he did the same thing, Right? That's what a sincere heart is. A sincere heart, back to Colossians 3, means you're doing what you're supposed to be doing when no one is watching. Not by way of eye service. As people pleasers. I love that he writes this because this, this tells me that things haven't changed. That 2,000 years ago, there's a bunch of dudes in the field shooting the breeze, smoking and joking, and all of a sudden someone's like, dude, boss is coming. Everyone gets their pitchfork up and starts throwing hay up in the air. Like, oh, this is all great job, Right? But the idea is when the boss is there or not there, things don't change, right? When I was at the Citadel, um, when, when a t tactical officer was coming, that was a real officer, everyone in the battalion would yell, Billy Wade! I don't know who Billy Wade was, but it was like our code name for, here comes someone, so do what you're supposed to be doing, so get out of the rack or stop doing whatever, right? Uh, that, that, and, and so everyone just squared themselves away, because Billy Wade coming. The idea is whether Billy Wade is called or not, nothing changes. You're not tagged with the, the, the idea that works well under supervision. When the teacher leaves the room for five minutes, nothing changes. When mom says, go do that task, and she leaves, you're still sweeping the floor. You're still doing the dishwasher, right? That's because otherwise you're just a people pleaser. You're trying to impress someone and make them think that you're something you're not. You're really lazy, but you're trying to make them think you're not. That's sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart is you're fearing the Lord. This is where it all ties back to, all right? It, it, as, as a Christian, we're, we're, we're doing this ultimately, we're fearing the Lord. There's a reverence for the Lord. Just like everything else he's gone to. Husbands, love your wives, how? Just like the Lord did. Wives, submit to your husbands, just like Jesus did. Right? Children, obey your parents, just like Jesus did. Fathers, don't exasperate your kids, just like our Father in heaven doesn't. Everything's tied back to our relationship with God. Right? Your work is a, here's a, you gotta understand this. If you get nothing else, understand this. Your work is a spiritual issue. I know it doesn't feel like it. Changing a diaper, doing the dishwasher, sitting behind a desk, filling in QuickBooks, filling the blank, right? Changing oil. It doesn't feel spiritual, right? But, but this text reminds us it's absolutely spiritual. I would say it's just as spiritual as you at Starbucks with your journal, with doing your quiet time. It's just as spiritual as you putting an envelope in the back in the offering box. 
Your work is a spiritual issue. It is connected to the Lord, which is why we go from our heart to our hands, right? These two are connected. What does he say next? Whatever you do, a lot of freedom there, right? He's not telling you what to do. He says, whatever you do, right? Work at home, work at the office. You're a high school student. You're a college student. You're a barista. You're a, a whatever, Whatever you do, what is not the issue? It is how. Work heartily. The idea is with enthusiasm for the Lord, not for men. See, if our work is spiritual, then our work is worship, right? It's connected. And the idea behind worship is worth. So you have to see that whatever you're doing is ultimately for the Lord. And so if the Lord asks you to write an expense report, how are you gonna do it? You gonna do it well? Or are you gonna put a Kalevin in there? Like, I'm on the roll today, the office. If, if the Lord asks you to make your bed, how are you gonna make that bed? To clean that bathroom. If the Lord asks you to study for a bio test, I mean, you just keep going. If the Lord asks you to build a wing for a plane to teach a bunch of kindergartners, how, if it's all worshiped and the idea is worth, you're going to do that hopefully with excellence. That's your hands. We gotta start seeing whatever we do is worship. This is worship, yes. This is this much of the big picture of worship. And just so you know, in the kingdom, this is not gonna be happening. This is not what you're gonna be doing for all eternity. All right, we're in hymn number 7,036. You are going to be doing something. You're going to be working. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to be awesome because you were created to do this. And it is spiritual, right? You, you are doing something for an audience. It's part of the Imago Day, right? And we get this intuitively. I think we understand this. There's this remember this, there's this great scene in Castaway with Tom Hanks, another great, a great film, right? And he, he is, he's created fire. Remember this scene? Right, I was gonna show it, but I, I, my sermon's probably long and I didn't have time, so, but I'll, I'll describe it for you. So he's made fire and then he's dancing and he's singing the doors, come on baby, light my fire. And he's doing, you know, he's waving the palm branches and then he starts like, he says, I have made fire and he's talking to someone. You're like, who is he talking to? Right, who, who is he, who is he telling about this fire? There's this idea that he, he knows someone's watching. He's like, look what I've created, I have made fire, right? And there's this something intuitive that's intrinsic because we're made in the Imago Dei that we know that what we do is seen. We're doing it in, as, as, as in a part of an audience, right? It's not in a vacuum because there is one who's created you in his image to work and do something. Right, and we're doing it for the Lord. This is why you cannot disconnect just the hands and the heart. Some of you are real proud about how hard you work. I'm a hard worker, my dad taught me hard work. I'm a hard worker, that's great, you should be a hard worker. But you know what, if you disconnect it from the heart of why and the motive, then it doesn't mean anything. If you're working hard so that people say, what a hard worker, he's great, or look at him, he just, let him go, that's a pride issue. It's, you work hard and you do great, why? Because it's for the Lord. You can't disconnect these two, not as the Christian, right? Don't miss that. Work is noble, you're created to do it. 
to endure and to sacrifice and to expend energy and to struggle. That is a noble thing. And if you're not doing it well, you know, if you're being slack, you're proving that that which God has created is noble is not. And here's, here's the problem for us as a church is that you're, if you're that kind of lazy, you're kind of that lazy student, you're that lazy employee, you don't do anything around, he's kind of slack. You're, you, you as a Christian, what you do probably is you try to invite your people to church, you talk about how you do a quiet time and you talk about, I'm gonna pray for you and God bless you. And on this hand, you're talking about very noble things and sacrifice. But over here, you're being super slack. So you're giving no credibility to what you've said over here. You wanna talk about the ultimate of nobility where a God came to earth and died on a cross and gave himself and sacrificed everything, but you're not willing to sacrifice for, for your boss. So it's, you're, there's no credibility to your faith. And you gotta see your work is an opportunity to proclaim, him we proclaim. It's about him. Right, and the result is a typical, yeah, they're Christian, they go to church, but I can't get them to show up on time. I can't get them to get off his Facebook or his Instagram at work, right? And that's the problem. That's why it matters. And so working heartily means you wanna be good, as good as you can be at what you do. If you're a teacher, you ought to try to get to be better as a teacher, right? You're a musician, you ought to try to hone in your craft, right? Take some more lessons, take another class, right? If you're, you're an administrator, you work in technology, stay up to date with what's going on. If you're still, you know, writing things down on a spreadsheet with your hands, you know they have this thing called Excel now. I mean, there's, you, you need to be good at what you do, right? You need to get efficient. And if you don't know, you go to your boss and say, hey, I feel like I'm kind of, I need some more training here. Could you help me to get this? Or what do I need to do? Right? We need to be good at what we do. If you're a, an athlete, you ought to work hard at that. If you're the QB, you ought to try to be a better QB. If you're the water boy, then you ought to be the best Adam Sandler water boy you can be. But we ought to be good at what we do because it brings credibility to our God. And, and the reality in our world is some of you are just naturally gifted. You are awesome. Just, you show up and it's just, you're good. You, you, God's dealt you a full house. And some of you, God dealt you a pair of sevens. And that's fine too, because that's what God gave you. So you try to be the best pair of sevens you can, and you over here be the best full house you can, and God will deal with it in the end, because he's the one who stewarded you, right? But that, that's what it means to, to, for our hands to be connected to our heart. He said, well, what if my boss doesn't pay me more? What if I don't get a raise? What if I never get credit? What if I never uh, move up the ladder? That's where our head comes in, right? And here's the third thing he says. You do this knowing. There's the intellectual piece. I know what? That from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. See, there's a point where we do work to make money to provide for ourselves, absolutely, that's part of it. But that's not the whole point. And there's a part where we wanna get promoted and we wanna, you know, we wanna get up the ladder, that's fine. But that's not the point either. What he says is, you're gonna have, if, you, if you do this diligently for me, if you connect the head and the heart and the hands, there, there's a reward, there's an inheritance. And again, he's writing to bond servants. Bond servants don't have inheritances. 
They don't have some rich uncle who bought Amazon at 17, right? They, they, they don't have that coming down the pike. If they did, they wouldn't be a bond servant. But he says, there is an inheritance. I got you a 401k with great interest rate that will last you all of eternity. You will stand before, the scripture teaches, y'all, every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ based on what he has given us, based on how we serve. Some of you, he gave you one mina. Some of you, he gave you five minas. Some of you gave 10. And we hear those passages about Jesus when he's like talking about minas or talents and these are all uh, money and, and, and gifts. We hear that and we think he's talking ministry. He's always oh, talking about Billy Graham and John Calvin and, and those guys. No, he's talking to regular old people who work in regular old jobs. He says, some of you, I've given one mina. Some of you, I've given five. Some of you, I've given 10. And one day I'm coming back and I'm gonna ask, what'd you do with the one? Well, I hid it in the ground because I'm scared. No, he says, I've put you in a place. I've given you some influence. I've given you some talents. I've given you a job. I've given you a place. He said, what are you gonna do with it? And, And I think the people that are gonna hear good and faithful servant." We always think, again, it's gonna be the ministry folks. I don't think so. I think it's just the faithful dude who shows up in middle management and never gets promoted, but he loves on some people and he prays for his coworkers and he honors his boss and he comes home and loves his family. I think that guy and that gal, that's well done, right? That does it in obscurity. Just faithful. Honors God at work, shows up. And I know some of you are thinking, I hate my job though, Bill. I hate my job. I hear you. So you have two options. Get a new one or get a new heart, right? I mean, you hate your job? Then go find a new one. But just know this, and this is more for kind of the millennial culture. And there's not a slam on y'all. Your parents just stink. That's okay. Here's the thing. You've been over-promised, especially young folks, the ultimate fulfillment in a career. That your career is gonna be the ultimate in fulfilling and and this is why you you guys leave a job after one or two years so frequently because you don't find the fulfillment that you've been promised. It's because it was never meant to fulfill you. Not the way it's been promised. Now what the church has done, unfortunately, is we have overreacted and said, you know, you can never be fulfilled in a job so we let the pendulum swing. Your job doesn't matter. And that is not true either, Right? It is true that your job cannot carry the ultimate weight of your soul, but when you are working and being diligent and creative and, and, and doing things, there is, there is fulfillment there. There absolutely is, and you can enjoy your job. Now, don't buy into the whole, you know, the, we love these memes, like, if you, find, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> Who wrote that? The dumbest thing I ever heard. Work is work because Genesis 3 says it's work. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it and that doesn't mean it can't be fulfillment. It just can't carry the weight of your soul. But we, you gotta understand you are created to do something. And parents, this is why we'll keep hammering this. You gotta teach your children to work. You cannot just let them, save them from hard things and rescue them and oh, they wanna go on a high school trip to the Bahamas. Oh yeah, here, here's $3,000, have a good time and just give them everything because what ends up happening is they become arrogant and entitled. And when they get into the real world and find out there's no participation trophy, they're gonna be like, what's wrong? I don't, I don't, I don't get why it, things just don't come naturally. So there's something about work 
This is part of God's sanctification of our, of our lives because it teaches humility and dependence and accomplishment. That's work, it's, work is a mild form of suffering, so it teaches, it teaches dependence and humility. A huge lesson because what we have is a generation of people who come out of college and they've never done anything but they think they should make $100,000 a year because they wrote papers. And they, they don't, know, you don't know, know that nobody writes papers in the real world because there's no humility. And so work teaches humility, right? And so we, we need to do that. And by the way, humility is the key for so many things, including spiritual growth. And so if you think that we can, you're just gonna send your kid off to, to, to one of Talavo's camps and they're all of a sudden gonna get holy because he teaches the Bible for three days, but if you haven't cultivated humility and they're alive, they're gonna have a hard heart and they're not gonna hear anything. It's not gonna change because fertile ground is on a humble heart. So work is huge in, in sanctification, not only for adults, but for children and students, again. If you're a high school student, you're a middle school student, you're, you're an elementary student, you're a college student, your job is your school right now. And I know that nobody really uses some of these courses you take, and I get it, trust me. I'm not doing anything PE major anymore, right? And I don't remember Math 106 or Western Civ 101, but that's the task that God has for you right now, and part of your growth is for you to do what's right in front of you. So you ought to shoot for an A. And maybe you don't get an A. Maybe you're like me and you try for an A and you gotta be minus. Whatever. You need to do your best. Because it's for the Lord, not for men. So C for complete, not always good. All right? But God will reward. He says God will reward good and God is not, he's not partial. He'll, he'll deal with the lazy too. Right? He'll pay back the one he's done wrong. So you just be faithful. It's a way you proclaim. Right? Your head, your heart, your hands, those, that's for those under. Real quick, he goes and says for those over, those in authority, right? And this is the worst chapter break maybe in all the Bible. I don't know who did this. I don't know why chapter four starts here, but here's what he says. Masters, treat your bondservants just and fair, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Three words for the CFOs in the room, Three, for, for your human resources. You're, you make decisions that impact other people. That's you, whatever it is, landlords, Parents, teachers, right? You, you make decisions that other people live with. Three words, just, fair, accountability. Those are your three words. I didn't have three H's like the other one, so sorry. Your bosses, you should be able to adjust, right? Just, fair, accountability. He says what? Treat your bondservants justly. You treat them better than the law requires. The law had no protection for the bondservant. But Jesus ups the end. He says, I don't care what the law says. You're gonna treat them well. You treat them just. You've been given authority, not so that you can abuse it, not so they have to walk on eggshells around you, right? So that you can be a blessing. Your job as the, the boss, the one in authority, is to be a blessing to those under, right? You are their covering, right? So pay them what they deserve. That's just, don't, don't ask them to do something that you're not willing to do. That's just, right? Don't take advantage of them. That's just. This is a great line in, in the Band of Brothers series where the two lieutenants are talking. Lieutenant Dick Winters tells it, one of the other lieutenants who was gambling with the men. And he says, you should, he tells them basically he shouldn't be doing that. And he says, man, I'm just, I'm just getting to know the boys. He says, what if you would have won? He says, never put yourself in a position where you can take for these men. 
right? Because he's their superior. It's a great idea. You're supposed to be the blessing, not the taker. That's what he's saying, right? The, the, the golden rule, treat as you wanna be treated. Just, fair, don't. Some, one of your employees has been faithful and he's been there for 20 years. Don't, don't give the job to your nephew because he's, he's part of the family. That's not fair. It's not just. So just be fair and be just, right? Pay, pay for what someone's worth. That's what you do. That's, that's what he's calling them to. And the ultimate, the, the third is the accountability piece. He says, knowing that you have a master. He says, everyone will stand before Jesus. And you with your little authority, you assistant manager at the Gap who thinks you're like now Napoleon, you're gonna stand in front of a true authority. The one who has all authority in heaven and earth and under the earth for how you used your authority. That'll be a real moment. Right? So you may be the boss, but just remember you ain't the boss. There is a boss. And again, this is, why Paul, this, is how, this is how Paul changes from the inside out. When people start treating people fairly and with love and, and with equality, right? Because remember, he says elsewhere, in Christ there is no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, no barbarian, no Scythian. Christ is in all. That, that's, he's, he's doing it from the inside out, right? He's calling people to love, Right? So there's accountability, there's justice, there's fairness. If you have any kind of authority, those are your things that you need to think through this week as you're going back tomorrow. Here, here's the big picture for us. What would it look like if all 12, 1,300 of us, whatever there is on a Sunday morning, would go to work tomorrow and you would be that cookies and cream shake? Right? What would it look like? I would love, and, I, and this happens sometimes, which is awesome. I would love for companies and people to come to us as a church and say, do you got any more folks? Because the people we have that go to your church are rock stars. Man, they are, they are respectful. They do their job. They are kind. They show up on time. I can leave them for three days and nothing happens. That that would be true of you if you go to Savannah Christian or Country Day or Savannah Arts or Calvary or Jenkins or Windsor Forest. That, that you would be that student. They'd be like, man, these students that are coming up through your, your deal, they are, they are some of the best students we've seen. That, that we would almost be like an employment office. Yeah, we got people. Because you're so desirable because of the way you work and the way you treat people. See, him we proclaim. Right, it starts in head and heart and hands. It starts with justice and fairness and accountability. That's, that's what we're looking for. And again, it's all tied back. This whole portion, it's all tied back to Jesus. He is the husband who loves unconditionally. He is the wife who encourages the husband. He is the child who obeys and puts himself under the parents. He is the father who doesn't exasperate, but he raises up and encourages. He is the worker who's behind the scenes, he is the boss who blesses. It's him, him we proclaim. And think about this, as we kind of prepare our hearts, we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table. Jesus, for his first 30 years of life, what did he do? He worked in obscurity in his father's shop. And nothing he ever did wasn't spirit-filled and spiritual and worshipful, right? Nothing. Everything he did was worship. And he spent 30 years in obscurity building things with his hands. 
right, as a servant. And, and it was never a boss. His dad was his boss for a season. There was never a boss worthy of him. There was never a customer that came to him that was worthy of the one. I mean, if you come to Jesus, like, can you fix my yoke on my, you know, on my, uh, my thing out there? That guy was not worthy of him to ask him that, but yet he did it. He humbles himself. He becomes a bondservant for us. He takes on humanity so that he could die in our place, right? And that's what we're gonna remember. We're gonna celebrate the table uh, this morning. And just as we transition there, this is a reminder that Jesus, king of the universe, all things created by him, for him, through him, humbles himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Same language, bondservant. God becomes a servant. Why? So that you could be reconciled to him. And so as, as we partake, you're gonna have, there's gonna be a piece of bread. It's matzah. It's, it's without leaven. That's why it's flat. Leaven represents sin in the scripture. Jesus was without sin. This, this matzah has kind of piercings and it's kind of got bruisings. Why? Because his, his body was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And you're gonna have a cup and it, it represents the blood that was poured out for the, for the give, forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You couldn't work your way to heaven. You couldn't be good enough to get to him. So he comes to us. And so as we sit and we remember, remember the body of Christ in obscurity, working, serving 30 years and then three years of ministry and then a, and then a crucifixion and then a resurrection so that you could have eternal life and the blood that was poured out for your forgiveness of sins. Why? Because of his great love for us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a member of this church or not, this, this is a time for you to remember him. Again, it all goes back to him. He's the husband, he's the wife, he's the child, he's the boss, he's the employee, he's the father. He's all this. So we remember him, him we proclaim. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake Spend some time in reflection and, and thinking and, and our folks are gonna hand out the elements as we sing. And you just take when you have had some time of worship and private prayer. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, I just, I would say, hey, you don't, you don't need to partake. This is, this is for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. But we would encourage you to, to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we would encourage you this morning. Uh, to, to look at God's free offer of, of salvation for you, uh, that, that he's drawing you to himself, that he wants you to know him uh, and his son, Jesus. So let me pray for our time uh, and then we'll say right through the table and then we'll stand and sing a couple songs together. Father, I thank you for your word, which encourages us in the practical things of life, that you have created us for good works. That you've created us to do things, to, to model you, uh, to proclaim you. As we remember a, a just in a tangible way now, Lord Jesus, what you've done, uh, just may this encourage us and remind us, even if we fail, that tomorrow is a new day, that we have forgiveness in you. Uh, we thank you for your body, Lord Jesus, given for us. We thank you for your blood poured out for us. Um, be just honored as we remember and worship in that. It's in Christ's name I pray.